hey, welcome to Element if you're new. You have no idea. And you're like, I am never coming back to this place again. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables around the room. They look like this. And on the inside, you're going to get a recap of what we will talk about today. On the back, you'll get the verses we're going to hit. On the bottom, you get a place for notes if you want to take notes. But if you have a smart device, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. And when you download it, it just says Bible. And in there, if you click on More and then Events, we will come up by GPS in your smart device. And you will get the sermon notes. You will get the verses as we go through. You'll get the announcements and just about everything that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to truly live and walk in that freedom. And we wouldn't use that freedom to point towards ourselves, but we'd have that freedom that we live in grace and our lives would point towards you. And in that freedom, we would lift up and love one another because you have first loved us. Amen. Have a seat. So we are doing a series in the New Testament book of Galatians, and I promise, I promise we will end chapter 5 next week. Mostly. Mostly. You'll see what I mean when we get there. Uh, I'm excited about our next sermon series. Uh, I actually changed it last week to the next thing that we are doing. And I'm writing furiously at this point to try and get it done. If you don't know, usually I write really far ahead so that the children's and the youth and everybody who needs to see what's coming up have those messages done so they can look at it and write notes for that if they want to follow along and do things like that. Uh, This is probably one of the closest ones I've been to it, but we're going to do a series on forgiveness. And I know people hear that and they go, oh, forgiveness. Seriously, I read this book by Tim Keller. He died a couple weeks ago. and It was the last book I think he put out. And it's the last book of his that I read, and it was so good. And we thought that it could really help us at Element to walk through some issues with our culture, with one another, in the areas of forgiveness. After that, at, towards the end of the year, we're going to do a series called Not So Little Women about women in the Bible, because usually you hear a lot of stories about the dudes, and so we want to tell some stories of what we can learn from the women in the Bible. But again, today, we're going to hit Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to move to the practicalness of the book of Galatians finally. Most commentators will talk about how over five chapters, Paul has done this theology class on grace, but from chapter 5, verse 13 on, he moves into ethics, and he shows the Galatians how to clean up this mess that they have done in their church because the Galatian church is really a mess. Now, if you don't know this, churches can be really messy places with really messy people. Okay. Some people get fed up with their churches and they go to find another church that doesn't have those messed up people in it, but you just took yourself there, so you're bringing yourself along in the midst of it. I've had people sit in my office and tell me why they're leaving Element, not usually angrily, sometimes, but but not usually, and we kind of have a conversation about it. Uh, And I'll tell you, if you're new, this is your holiday Sunday. I'm going to tell you the four main reasons that people leave Element. Number one is our focus on gospel communities. We have a very strong focus on wanting to move you into smaller communities that can relate to one another around the gospel so we can disciple one another as we live with each other. But sometimes our gospel communities feel cliquish and people have a hard time breaking in. And that's one of the really big things. Uh, The second thing is that I have what's called a reformed theological stance on the scriptures. Sometimes people have a problem with that. The third thing is my humor. (laughs) 
people have left because of my humor. And some of you appreciate it, some of you don't. My wife's kind of in the middle, so if you're like, oh, it's not funny, you're right along with her. And the fourth thing is that we don't really have a lot of programs at Element. We do Sunday morning gatherings, so we corporately come together and worship God together and learn together. We think that is important. Some people are like, I don't really need to go to church. Well, God calls us to come together and join as his people. You talk about Jesus every week. I don't know what else to talk about, but we gather corporately, okay? Corporately together, and we worship God together, and then gospel communities, and that's really it. Uh, we will do different events. We will do, like right now, we're doing this thing on Thursdays and Element You about the gospel and culture, but that's six weeks long. And we don't really do a whole lot else. And sometimes people want a lot of other things. And so there are other things besides that, but those are really, you know, the, the unholy quad of things that people leave Element for. And I try to talk to people who are leaving. Sometimes they'll meet with me. Sometimes they won't. I don't meet with them to try to convince them to stay, but to say, hey, how could we have done this better? How could we better communicate it on the front end who we are so you understand our direction and our vision? And I usually pray for people and I send them off in grace. Uh, Many times people don't want to meet with me because they feel guilty, but I never want anybody to feel guilty. What I want people to do is connect to a body of believers. If it's not here, somewhere else, so we can grow and live following Christ together. That's what I want. And if people don't leave and you do stay, you're going to find lots of other issues, not just those four, because churches are messy places. We are a messy people. When people leave to go find another church that doesn't have messiness in it, not to their face, but I typically laugh behind your back because, because they are just messy. Every, you're going to get there. Larger churches, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to find the messiness. We are a smaller church, so all of our warts and all just stand out really, really quick. But churches are full of sinful people. And that is not an excuse for trying to be better or growing past this. It's just reality. God knows his church is messed up. That is why we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Todd Wilson says this, clearly God is convinced that church is a mess worth making. See, God knows the church is a messy place. And all too often, Christians think that our churches aren't messy places, or we're not messy people, or other people shouldn't be messy. And yet, we are just people who do not live in a mess-free zone. We live in a messy zone. Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp wrote a book called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. And this is what they say about the church. While we would like to avoid the mess and enjoy deep and intimate community, God says that it is in the very process of working through the mess that intimacy and true community is found. If we are a people who commit to one another to walk through the mess with each other, we will actually find that deep community we are looking for. When we run from the mess, we don't work through it and we don't live in that deep community. If you have a Bible, open to Galatians chapter 5. If you're going to use one of the Bibles at Elements on page 633, if you use a new version, you're already there. Just scroll to it. This is why uh, the verses in these next two chapters are so good. Because, again, the people in Galatia made a mess of their church. Paul's going to move into the last little bits here throughout the book of Galatians, and he's going to teach us how to biblically and theologically start to work through the mess so we can begin to come together. And this is really the last chapter and a half are why people love the book of Galatians. It's so practical. And yet, we had to go through those 20 weeks to get here because we laid the foundation with the concrete and the rebar so we can now build on top of that so we know how to begin to live this out. Paul starts, we're going to hit Galatians 5 verses 13 through 15, and Paul says this, through love serve one another. How do you fix this mess that's called the church? 
through love, we serve one another. But where does that love come from? God's love first given to us. And so Paul's going to push this. Today you're going to get a reminder of what we talked about. You're going to get a warning. Well, actually two warnings. And you're going to get an encouragement of how to work through our messy communities practically. Ready? Okay, ten of you. All right. So first off, a reminder. This is the beginning, chapter 5, verse 13, the very beginning. For you were called to freedom, brothers. That word brothers in the Greek text means brothers or sisters. Paul is saying freedom comes from the gospel. He keeps reminding us of this. So before he moves into it, he reminds us again. Freedom, what Christ has done, is the foundation of who we are as believers. Human relationships and community are never going to flourish without being grounded in the freedom that Jesus alone can bring bring us. Now, as Americans, we tend to think of freedom as, I'm in the land of the free, the home of the brave. People will sometimes call Dave Ramsey when they get out of debt and say, I'm debt free. Woo! I'm not. I haven't done that yet. But biblically speaking, freedom is essentially relational. This is how the Bible talks about our freedom. We are free only insofar as we are rightly related to God. And if we are not rightly related to God, we are in moral and spiritual bondage no matter where we live. Now, this is the opposite, again, how we think about freedom. And this is why Paul keeps pointing this out over and over. The Jews in Paul's day would have understood freedom differently than we do because we live in this democracy or a representative republic anyway. And we think that whatever I want to do, no one should tell me no. I should be able to say this is right and everybody has to agree with me because this is my truth and this is my life. And this is why Paul keeps reminding us, why the Bible keeps reminding us that we are born as slaves to sin and death. Now, sin is a volatile word in our culture today, but what is sin? Sin is missing what God calls us to. It's missing the mark. It's why everyone wants to go to war with God when God says no. The more we face facts, the more we realize that no one is perfect, though we all claim to think, act like we're okay with ourselves deep inside. None of us really are. We are a people who sin. Many times we don't even know why. We do that thing like, why did I do that again? I didn't want to, and yet, boom, there it is. I just did it again. We thought it was a good idea at the time, and yet it wasn't. We sin. We keep running away from God. We keep steering ourselves inward, and then sin leads to death. That's the result. We are all going to die. We try and fight it, and we blame God for it, but we're going to die. This is what our world does. We fight death. We deny sin. That's what we do. We make laws. We get therapists. Not that there's anything long, wrong with good laws or, or therapists. Those are good things. But we're doing that mostly to deal with our sin problem. And all that effort doesn't fix it because nothing in the end is going to redeem us other than the saving work of Christ. We fight death, we install airbags, we jog, we eat fresh organic foods, we drink water that's purified and boiled and comes from a land where nobody poops or takes baths, and yet we still die. What's Paul's reminder? For you were called to freedom, brothers. So how do we then get to live in that freedom? I'm like, saving. <laughs> Jesus. That's how we begin to live in that freedom. He lives a sinless life. He died for our sins. He was punished in our place for our sins, for it separated us from God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is Jesus has taken our sin upon himself. He has taken our death upon himself by his own choice. And he has given us his righteousness. He has given us his 
life. We get to be resurrected from sin and death. We no longer have to be slaves to that. By God's grace, through Jesus, we get liberated and we get freedom. And so we're free to love God and walk away from sin. It is all about Jesus. The closer we grow to Jesus, the further we wander from our sins. And so Paul is reminding us to stop trying to focus on our morality. Stop trying to focus on the law and all these things. Focus on Jesus. Because when you do, you will start to walk further and further away from sin. The focus goes off of us and onto Him. And if we do live a good life, it all goes towards Him and His glory. It's not about us. He gets the credit for us being, quote-unquote, good. We love Jesus. That's the mark of Christian freedom. It's not about our goodness. It's about His. It's not about our morality. It's about His. It's not our truth. It's His truth. We are liberated into freedom and out of the rules. And Paul says, why would you ever want to go back to a list of rules? Why would you trade Jesus for a list of rules? Stick with Jesus. And that's a great reminder. Okay. It's great. For some of you, I guess. Uh, and that is going to directly then lead into our community. Now, I've told you this on numerous occasions. Freedom is not when we no longer have to obey God. Real freedom comes when we want to freely obey God because we see He has first loved us. Freedom is not Mardi Gras on steroids. It's real life that comes with God's restoration of us. Trying to obey Jesus without loving Jesus is really going to be impossible. When we love God, we are concerned with what God wants in our lives. And I'll tell you, a lot of people love laws and rules and legalism because that's where people go to hide from Jesus. I'm doing all these things. I don't really need to pray with Him or talk with Him or build a relationship with Him. I'm going to do these things. And we really, our legalism teaches us how to hide from who Christ is. The only way we're going to be transformed is through God's love. Our culture, in the end, doesn't have a sex problem, an anger problem, a drinking problem. We've got a Jesus problem. That's what we have. And if we find a way to get away from some sin in our life that's destroying us, but we don't grow closer to Jesus, we're just going to grow closer to another sin. It's like you'll go from alcohol and, oh, I got away from my alcoholism. You just moved to pride because you think you're so great because you did it. You move from, like, lust and you move into gossip. But the closer we draw to Jesus the further we start to walk away from sin. And Paul's reminder is freedom is not to go from one sin to another. Freedom is you go from sin to Jesus. It's a great reminder about our freedom. So then Paul moves into the second thing, which is a warning. Well, two of them. Uh, second half of verse 13, he says, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See how the freedom moves into the community and how to start coming together? He gives another warning, verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Okay, so there's two warnings here. Getting to our motivation we talked about last week, almost the entire book of Galatians is about people who say it's Jesus plus this other thing and that equals salvation. Like all these Jesus plus people running around. And th these people just had their arguments dismantled by the Apostle Paul. I wrote in my notes, smash just like Hulk. And I thought, it was, I don't know. It doesn't really flow, but, but I wrote it in there. <laughs> Paul moves to this warning. Don't use that freedom, the freedom Christ has given you to be free, as an opportunity for your flesh. Don't turn it inward. Don't say, he's going to forgive me, so I'll do whatever I want. I love to sin. He loves to forgive. That's a match made in heaven. Let, let's get this thing going. 
I have met with people in my office who actually have said that. Not those exact words, but kind of that thing. And if you've been around Element, I tell you, I, I love what's called the doctrines of grace, Reformed theology. And some people have a problem with it because they don't understand the sovereignty of God. Some people fear that too much freedom is bad for us. And I will tell you, too much freedom is not bad. It's that we don't understand the freedom we've been given. Some people say, well, uh, you know, God saved me. I can do whatever I want. Well, that, that is not salvation focused on who Jesus is. That is me wanting to find a way to get to follow and worship myself. And that's not salvation. That's self-worship. That's idolatry. And following Jesus to people like that, it's really kind of meaningless because they're not worshiping Jesus. So Paul's warning, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What does it mean to not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh? But through love serve one another. The second warning again, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. How can we tell if our motivation for following and loving Jesus is true? The acid test Paul gives us is simple. How do we view other people? How do we now view other people made in the image of God, specifically those who are part of the community of faith? And it's kind of amazing what he does here, because one of the defining keys of the results of the gospel in our lives is we not only get to celebrate and worship God, but we get to celebrate one another. We get to love others around us for the gifts that God has given them. When we see people excelling, we're not jealous we get to rejoice in that. We don't have to be jealous because we're on the same team. We want to see God glorified in everything. You know, last year we did this dodgeball tournament out in the barn. And Luke, one of my friends, ended up being on my team. And he's really good at dodgeball. I would have no idea because he's not that coordinated. He wrecks his motorcycle all the time. But, oh my goodness, he was amazing at dodgeball. And I wasn't jealous. He's better than me. I celebrated the fact. Look how good this is. Sometimes when people... Switch churches. Like, you go from another church and maybe you come to Element and we'll be having a talk. Sometimes the church they come from will have some issues and some problems. And there seems to be a weird perverse joy that people take in that. Oh, I left there and look what happened. I'm glad I left at that point. People who have left Element and they go somewhere else and they, they will say, oh, this place is so much better because they did this and this, looking for some reason to put a different church down. If a church preaches the gospel, guys, we are on the same team. And we don't want to see any church fail and flounder that, that follows the gospel. If they're not preaching the gospel, they should die. Okay, But if they're preaching the gospel, we want to see them flourish. And we should never be those who take any type of pride or joy in another church struggling when it preaches who Jesus is. Our identity before God is not tied to others. It's tied to Jesus. And that sets us free to rejoice in other people and what God is doing there. Now, Last year, I wrote this message on hell. Don't worry, we're not going to talk about hell. But it comes out of Matthew chapter 25. If you have a Bible, I want you to flip over to Matthew 25. If you're using one of the Bibles at Element, that's on page 539. But Jesus here is going to talk about this really interesting thing about sheep and goats and kind of brings this together. So Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, Jesus says this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. That's a picture from Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man coming in glory. Verse 34, Then the King will say to those on His right, Come you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now if you're a believer, this is like our dream, this is life in relationship with God. Verse 35, For I was hungry, 
and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous, that's those in right relationship with God, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now this is where people sometimes get the idea of freedom all out of whack because they go, aha, see, Jesus is looking for people who are following the rules. You help these people, you clothe them, you don't drink, smoke, cuss, check, save. That's what the legalists did in Galatia. That's the view of religion. Do the right thing. God lets you into the pearly gates. You get to become a sheep. But when you look at this, Jesus' words are not about the righteous making themselves righteous. Our sin before God is the problem, not trying to be good enough. Our salvation rests in the hands of God. In ours, we would mess it up every single time, just like we do mess it up every single time. We make it about us. We make it about our own works. To be separated out as sheep, which is a good thing, okay? We want, we want that. We want that. It cannot be because of our works. Why? Because Jesus laid down his life for the sheep as well so we could go free. And what is taking place here and what Jesus is pointing out is these people are living a certain way and they don't even realize it. They're living in a way that takes care of those around them, that look into the community around them to love and serve them simply because they themselves have been saved by God himself. And it's just a natural part of who they are because they were freed by the grace of God. Their response is to live in the grace of God. Now go on, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, sorry you lefties, uh, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me no food, I was thirsty and you gave me no drink, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me, then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Both groups asked the same question, when did we see this? Verse 45, then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, and here he doesn't say my brothers, you did not do it to me. Now hopefully you see the contrast in that because what's going on is Paul is saying the sheep and the goats both say, when did we see hurting people? And yet one of them is naturally because of the grace in their lives, living and helping and taking care of these hurting people around them. On the other side, you have the goats. And the goats don't notice anyone beyond themselves, so they're not helping anybody. They're too self-focused. When our lives are freed by God, we want to live a whole different life. Why? Because He first loved us. Because He drew us to Himself. Because He brought us in. We are not freed because of our, we our works. But our freedom does teach us how to begin to live differently. Last year I told you I heard this guy once say this, Are you a sheep because you act like one? Or do you act like a sheep because you are one? Are you trying so hard to follow the rules to be a sheep? Or do you simply act like a sheep because you are one? Back in the 90s, there was this chimp named Oliver. He was touted as the missing link because he smoked, drank brandy every night. He liked human girls. And they tested his DNA. And guess what? He's a chimp. He may act like your uncle, but he's a chimp. Doesn't make him human. You can act a certain way and not be a certain thing. Reality for Jesus and Paul is where you see real sheep, you'll see people looking into the community around them. 
to love and to serve them, to encourage them. The freedom leads us to this place so we can do it because we've been freed from all the bondage of having to figure out our own lives and look really good in front of everybody else. We can simply live as God calls us to live in freedom. When Christians have a healing attitude towards the world, everybody gets roped in. Everybody gets roped in. Goats have the attitude, what's in this for me? They don't go and serve simply because they have first been loved and brought in. So what's the warning? Are you a goat or are you a sheep? But if you bite and devour one another, then goats, you know, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Our view around us will give us a pretty good idea if we want to worship God or not. If we want to be in relationship with God or not. If we, if we understand our freedom or not. There is a revealing to our lives that shows how we love God by how we ultimately love others. It's not shown in our legalism of not smoking, drinking, swearing, watching rated R movies or listening to country music, but how we love others. Like, do we love people? Do we love God's mission? Do we love generosity because God has been generous with us? Do we love grace because we have been given grace? Which goes to the last thing, which is the encouragement is this encouragement. Now, it's chapter 5, verse 14, and it says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you might be thinking two things. Uh, this is verse 14. You already gave us verse 15. I thought it was nice to put the warnings together to end with an encouragement. You're welcome. Thank me for that. All right. And also, he just fulfilled in one word. He just gave us seven words. All right. But the one word he's talking about here is the word love. Paul says freedom is for love. It moves us to that place. And when I say that, I don't mean a, a mushy hippie love. Sorry, you hippies in the room. But it's not a hippie love. That it's, it's a love that leads us to the truth and calls one another to the truth. It's a love that loves like God loves. It's a love that's not afraid of stepping into the hard places with people and sharing hard truths, even while caring for them enough not to shame them while doing it. Uh, I read the story about Oxford University in the UK. Around one of the buildings there, there's this was this beautiful lawn, and it was really accentuated. Here's a picture. It accentuated this building. People would come and take pictures of it. This building is called the Radcliffe Camera. Uh, camera simply means room. Radcliffe is the guy who designed the building. So they fenced it off. You can probably see a fence around it now. And so they fenced this off so that the lawn would stay really nice. But then all the way back in World War II, you can leave it up for a minute, by the way. Uh, all the way back in World War II, it comes along and they needed every bit of iron in the UK for the war effort. So they went and took down the fence. In the 50s and the 60s, people started walking on the lawn. They put signs up, please don't walk on the lawn. People walked on it anyway. By the time the 80s came around, you had tourists coming in and taking pictures and having picnics on the lawn. You would have the youth from the city, you know, those crazy youths. And they would come out and drink and party and attack passersby from this lawn. And it became so trampled and so worn out, it was no longer beautiful. In the late 1980s, the university made new railings. And they put in new grass. And once again, it's beautiful. And this is kind of an illustration about the use and abuse of freedom. It is one thing to be set free from freedom and slavery, and another thing to decide what you're going to do with that freedom. Like any criminal who gets out of jail, they have a choice. Am I going to commit more crimes with my freedom, or am I going to live a wholly different life? Paul spends so much time encouraging the Galatians to understand that they are free from their pagan past. They're also free from this Jewish law. The Jews, though, would look at that fence around the Radcliffe camera, and they would say the only reason the building was beautiful, the only reason it stayed that way was the fence. And when you took down the fence, the beauty was destroyed. And in one sense, that was true. But Paul is saying there's a brand new way. 
a new freedom into which we get to walk. And it's a freedom to begin to love like God has first loved us. In essence, if we loved like God loves us, we wouldn't need the fence. We wouldn't need the fence. People destroyed the beauty of the lawn because they were inward focused. They only enjoy what they wanted. And when we do that, we destroy the beauty of the relationship that God leads us into. This is Paul's encouragement. Understand what Christian freedom is. One writer says this, Your identity is that of a true child of God and dwelt by the Spirit. That is where our freedom comes from. When righteousness is what we begin to thirst for, and we want to see God displayed in each other's lives. Verse 14 out of the NIV says it like this, The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we love God and we love people, it would take care of all the law. Why? Because love begins with God. Father, Son, and Spirit. They have perfect love and intimacy in themselves. People who believe in God but don't believe in or understand the Trinity, they will say things like, God created us for relationship because God needed someone to love or God needed someone to hang out with Him. No, God's not lacking in Himself. God has perfect love. He has perfect intimacy within the Trinity of who He is. There is nothing we can do to help God in any way. But what God has done is He has extended that perfect love to us by bestowing grace and mercy upon us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, He places His Spirit in us so we can love each other and Him. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Even God's kindness should lead us to places of repentance. Let me paraphrase that for you. God's love changes things. God's love changes us. God's love transforms us even in the midst of our messes so that we would be able to celebrate one another because God has come to rescue and save us. God's love doesn't just feel gushy, it changes people. What it does is it brings people home and it takes the self-righteous and it humbles them and it turns rebels into sons and lawbreakers obedient. It takes dirty people and makes them clean. This love is given to us. We get to become conduits of that love to those around us. That's the encouragement. And it's a great encouragement. I, we got to be a people who are reminded of our freedom consistently and constantly because we forget it. Then we got to let God's love serve as a warning to our self-centered ways that we want to live as sheep. And then be encouraged that we have a new life and identity in Christ where we love others because Jesus first loved us. Even in the midst of all of our messes, even in the midst of all the things that we constantly do to begin to hurt one another, we have been given a freedom that we don't have to live in the anger or the pain or the bondage when somebody hurts us. We can move into places of freedom and life, and that will change us. It changes us so that we can be a people who are encouraged to love one another and come alongside one another and remind one another of God's goodness because He is good. At Element, every single week, if you're new, we take you to this place of communion. We don't pass communion throughout the room. Communion is a place where you come before God and you lay down all of those things going on in your life. Jesus says, you know, when you get together, do this in remembrance of who I am. And so we do it every week. And you break a cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. Then you dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of His blood that was shed for us because we are only saved because of what Christ has done. This is the place that it comes and reminds us of what the gospel truly is. The gospel is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection given to us so we can come in. And then the results of the gospel become how we begin to live as sheep, how we begin to love one another, how we are encouraged, how we are reminded of our great freedom. All these things come as the result of the good news of the gospel. And this is why at communion every week, that's a place where we lay down ourselves and remember what Christ has done. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to come to this place 
and realize how good our God has been to us and refocus our lives upon Him so we live in that freedom. And if you need prayer, maybe you are someone today who has spent all of your time trying to make yourself acceptable to God. And you realize now, hopefully, that you are brought in because of God's great grace. Well, right across the way in the lounge, there will be some people to pray with you. You can do it during the music. You can go after service is over. But we love to pray with you, answer any questions you might have, and just kind of walk you through that. We are also a generous people because God has been generous with us. So there's offering boxes on the side wall. You can give online. We do not pass a plate at Element. Uh, It is something that we want God to do in us where we naturally begin to do it as part of our worship in our lives. And so that's why we don't pass a plate. It's something that we want God to work in our hearts and to do in us as we become generous. And I encourage you to take those sermon notes, take those questions in there, and start to talk to one another about the great freedom that God has walked us into. And how can we be those who begin to celebrate one another and be those who speak the truth to one another so that we can lift up who Christ is and the great freedom that He has given to us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us how we started, that we have a freedom because you have given freedom to us. And there is beauty and grace in that freedom that we have received. Then I ask that you teach us to understand the warnings, that we would look at our own lives and see Am I living as a goat or am I naturally living as a sheep? Am I living as someone who naturally looks around and wants to love others because I realize you have first loved me? And I ask that you would remind us again of the encouragement that we've received. That we have a great salvation. But that great salvation is never meant to be kept just to ourselves. We are meant to live it out in ways that help other people see who you are by how your people live. And that there would be a deep grace in who we are. There would be an enduring humility that when pride wants to rear its head, we'd recognize it and turn back towards you. That there would essentially be a graciousness about us because we are your people. We laid aside all of our worries and everything in our lives and begin to come back to a place where we worship and serve you because you are the one who saved us. So teach us to live as your people in this world in that way, in ways that lift you up, that we would naturally begin to live as sheep. And God, we get it. Sheep are dumb sometimes, and we run some crazy directions. But you as our great shepherd continue to draw us and bring us back to yourself because of your own goodness. And so I ask that we would see that, be reminded of that, so that then we would continue to step into the freedom we received. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. As we drop these curtains, what I want you to do is take a couple moments And ask God, maybe the places where you need Him to begin to remind you of the freedom that you have in your life. Maybe there's places in your life where things, pride's rearing its its head and you start focusing on these things rather than on who Christ is. What I want you to do is kind of ask God in these moments to encourage you, to remind you of who He is and what he has done. 
and that there'd be a joy because our sins have been forgiven, that we have been set free, that our relationship with God is solely based upon what He has done. And that in turn would change how we live and how we interact with one another. Ask God to begin to do those things in your heart today. Then come and take communion. Sing some songs with us. Uh, We're gonna head out into this world at the end of this service and hopefully we step out in a way that encourages those around us to see who Jesus is. That we'd remind one another of the great grace we receive because we are simply living as sheep. And that we understand that so often the warning is we can start to live like goats and not sheep. And yet, God is still faithful and good to bring us back to Himself. Which again, reminds us of our freedom and the grace we've received. So let's live in that.